All right, first things first, where are my Michigan State fans? Well done. And my Michigan fans? Yep. And my Alabama fans? No, that was mean. Sorry. That, Jesus would not want us to start there. Anyway. Oh, and the Lions. What about the Lions? I believe. Yeah. Help me in my unbelief. No. Um, so great to see you this morning, whether you're here in the room or joining us online from wherever you find yourself. We're honored to have you along for the ride. And I'm super excited today uh, because not only is it our first Sunday with two services in the fall, but also because we get to launch a brand new series that has been marinating in my soul for months, and I can't wait to unleash it on you. It's called This Is The Way, and it's all about what it looks like not just to believe in Jesus, but to actually follow him. And before we go any further, I really need to talk about the name that I chose for the series, because let's be honest, if you find yourself anywhere on the spectrum of nerdiness like me, then you already notice that the series is named after the most recognizable line from a TV series that came out a few years ago on Disney Plus called The Mandalorian. Who's with me? Yeah. Yeah, and if you're not a nerd, you probably don't know what I'm talking about, but I can almost guarantee that you still have seen a picture of this cute little guy on the internet. Haven't you, right? Baby Yoda. And uh, again, aside for the nerds, uh, save your emails. I know his name isn't Baby Yoda. I know it's Grogu, but let's just keep it simple for the non-Star Wars folks, okay? Anyway, The Mandalorian is essentially a series about a bounty hunter from a planet called Mandalore. So very Jesus-y stuff going on, right? Um, and uh, when I first watched this series with my boys, and that's of course the only reason I watched it, <clears throat> uh, the thing that most captured my attention was that these Mandalorians have a shared ethical framework by which they make their decisions, a way that they've all committed to live. And uh, right before any of them makes a decision on the show, they look at the others and they say this. They say, this is the way. And then all the other people standing around in the really clunky helmets look back and they say, this is the way. In, in other words, this is the way that we've committed to live as Mandalorians. This is the right way and the best way, even though it may not be the easiest way. This is how we do things. And I'm telling you, even if you aren't a fan of the Mandalorian, you can probably resonate with this idea. I mean, if you think about it, you've probably been a part of at least one group of people who had a particular way of doing things. Uh, maybe when it was when you were growing up, like you noticed that your parents weren't the least bit interested in how your friend Sheila's parents did things, right? Uh, like in your house, they wanted things done their way. Uh, or maybe when you were in school or started a new job, you learned that one of the first things that you had to determine was the way in which whoever was in charge wanted things to be done. Uh, so now, as I already mentioned, in this series, we're going to look at what it, explore what it looks like to actually follow the way of Jesus. And, and to be honest, we're going to pretty quickly run into a tension. And I, so I wanted to kind of clear it up before we went any further. I'll describe the tension like this. You can be a Christian and not follow the way of Jesus. You, you, you really can't. It's totally possible. I see it all the time. Sometimes I see it in the mirror, if you know what I'm talking about, Right. And here's why that's so important that we acknowledge that. In the coming weeks, as really Jesus challenges you to change your behavior, 
I want you to stay grounded to the reality that the only thing that's required for anyone to become a Christian is for them to believe or trust that Jesus died for their sins and rose from the grave. That was the message that went into the ancient world, and it was called the gospel or good news. Anyone who is saved is saved by grace through faith and not by anything that they did or didn't do. And so that's said, that's why it's entirely possible for someone to become a Christian and never follow the way of Jesus. But, but here's the thing. You really need to understand that was not how Jesus' first disciples thought about their relationship to Jesus. That would have never been a construction that they would have considered. In fact, and, and this may surprise you, the earliest Christians didn't call themselves Christians. Uh, Christian was actually a derogatory term that was coined by people who weren't Christians to identify Christians. So what did the first Christians call themselves if they didn't call themselves Christians? Well, I, I think it's pretty cool. They called themselves followers of the way or people of the way. They were the Jesus people. They were the people who lived the way of Jesus. And, and the little Greek word that's translated way here in the New Testament describes a whole way of doing life. And so all that to say, for the first Christians, Jesus was not just someone to believe in that allowed them to get into heaven when they died. He was someone who defined and modeled a revolutionary way of doing life in this world, like right here and right now, a way of being and doing and serving and loving and even becoming. See, but, but, but of course, if we're honest, that's not how most of us were introduced to Jesus. See, for us, when we were first exposed to Jesus, we were taught a set of things that we needed to believe. And so consequently, our understanding of the Christian life was largely reduced to a personal belief statement and not really a personal mission statement. It was all about what we believed and not how we lived. And, and the practice of our faith was then largely reduced to things like church attendance, Bible study, and prayer. Uh, and as good as those things are, even if we're fully committed to them, they're not necessarily transformative in our lives. And, and I think there's a good reason for this, and you actually already know this, but you, know, you can be convinced of something but not committed to it. In other words, you can believe that something is true or good or important or beneficial, but if you never commit to letting your knowledge impact your decisions, well then it really doesn't do you any good. And I have a couple of examples to show you what I mean. Um, I mean, think about it. If you believe that eating healthy foods is better for you, but if your lunchtime routine finds you in the Chick-fil-A drive-through six days a week, right? And, and only six because they're not open on Sundays, right? And just, I mean, just a brief aside, is it not true that you have pulled into Chick-fil-A on a Sunday and gone, ooh, there's no line? And then you realize with horror why there's no line, right? Um, and all the other people that like Chick-fil-A are looking at you going, obviously, they don't know Jesus. But anyway, anyway, um, yeah, if, if that's your approach, like it's, it, it, then all of your knowledge about healthy eating really isn't doing you any good. It, it, or in, here's another example. Like if you believe that getting a lot of sleep is good for you, but if you're in the habit of watching Netflix until it asks you if you're still watching, have you ever had this happen? 
and you suddenly feel like, are they judging me right now? Yeah, but, but then if that's the case for you, then all of your beliefs about getting enough sleep really aren't doing you any good. Like, you get my point. You can believe that something is important, but if you're not committed to letting your belief impact your behavior, it's not going to do you any good. And again, all that to say, you can be a Christian who fully believes in Jesus and whose eternity is secure because of Jesus, but fail to be committed to following the way of Jesus. And, and, and I'm telling you, if that's your reality, you are missing out. But, but this is not the experience of the first Christians. I mean, they were incredibly serious about actually following the way of life that was articulated and modeled by Jesus. In, in fact, when you read those accounts of Jesus' life in the New Testament, if you read them carefully, you'll notice that Jesus' initial invitation to his first disciples wasn't to believe in him, it was to follow him. I mean, check out how a man named Matthew recorded the details of the day Jesus called his first disciples. Uh, he wrote that one day, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter, which I always think that's weird. Why don't you just call him Simon? I don't know, right? It's like, my name is Brady. Call me Bob. I don't know. Anyway, moving on. Um, and his brother, Andrew. He says, they were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Simple enough. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. Like you're used to catching fish. I'm going to show you how to catch people. And then this is the amazing part. At once, they left their nets and followed him. And I remember the first time I really paid attention to this passage. I grew up in church and I read Matthew a lot. But I remember the first time I paid attention to this passage and noticed how odd it is. I mean, it almost seems like Jesus performed some sort of Jedi mind trick on the two brothers. I know that's another Star Wars reference. Hang with me. Yeah, right? Like he was like, you will follow me. And they were like, we will follow you, right? I mean, it's really strange. Why did they simply drop their nets and follow Jesus? Like, what about their livelihood? What about their family? What are we missing? Hold on to those questions, because as the account continues, Jesus does it again. Matthew recorded that going on from there, Jesus saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat, and I love this, with their father Zebedee preparing their nets, and Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boats and their father and followed him. And I mean, that is just awesome. It's like Matthew recorded that James and John just like abandoned their father Zebedee, apparently without any warning or even conversation. And it seems like Zebedee just lets them go. It's strange, at least to us. But see, here's the thing. In the first century villages along the north shore of the Sea of Galilee where these invitations took place, it was the dream of every Jewish son to follow a rabbi like Jesus. In fact, as I was preparing for this series, I revisited an article I found years ago by a historian and a scholar named David Biven. And Biven suggests a reason why they left so quickly. Here's what he writes. He says, rabbis or Jewish teachers were the most esteemed, most respected in Jewish society. The goal of every child was to become a rabbi, a recognized teacher of the Torah, that's the Old Testament, in society. 
And so apparently in the first century, these guys would have been beyond honored to be invited to follow Jesus. And so would have their families. In fact, I would imagine that night around the campfire, because they, you know, they didn't have Netflix, right? So around the campfire, Zebedee is sitting there and all the guys are like, where are your boys? And he's like, well, you may notice they are not with me. And you're wondering why, and I will tell you why. A rabbi came along and invited my boys, my boys, to follow after him. Apple does not fall far from the tree, right? Yeah, so they would have been totally honored. They would have dropped everything in order to seize the opportunity. But that said, you know, what exactly did it mean to be a disciple in first century Israel? Well, as it turns out, uh, a disciple back then was way more than just a student. Like we generally think that the goal of a student is to learn what their teacher knows so that they can get a good grade on a test. But see, in Jesus' day, a disciple was someone who more than anything else wanted to be just like their rabbi. They wanted to walk with God like their rabbi walked with God. And so obviously, this was a very intense, very personal system of apprenticeship. They were with their rabbi 24-7. And as the rabbi lived and taught and interacted with people, his disciples listened and watched and eventually imitated him. Disciples wanted to know what their rabbi knew so that they could be the type of people their rabbi was in the world. That was the context when Jesus called his first disciples to follow him. And so they would have understood in that moment, like with crystal clarity, he wasn't simply inviting them to believe something. He was inviting them to be like him, to learn a new way to be human. I love how um, there's a scholar and author named Dallas Willard. Uh, he described discipleship so brilliantly in his book, Living in Christ's Presence. And here's, here's what Willard writes. He said, many people think of Jesus as our savior, as the one who will get us into heaven. And so the question often is, have I accepted Jesus as my savior? And he says, but we never ask the question, have I accepted Jesus as my teacher? And that's the real question. Like with the disciples, it began there. They began by accepting him as their teacher and then accepting him as their savior, which included, of course, their eternal destiny was a natural outflow of that. But they started with Jesus as their teacher. And I love this because we all have to learn how to live. I'm telling you, if you've been in church your whole life like me, this is the question that you need to ask, not have I accepted Jesus as my savior? That's a critical question, but have I accepted Jesus as my teacher? Because with those first disciples, that's where it began. Okay, so now I love this, but I noticed something when I was preparing for this series for the first time. Do you know what Matthew recorded happened immediately after Jesus called his first disciples? He wrote that he hiked them up a mountain near the north shores of the Sea of Galilee to deliver his most comprehensive teaching about his way of life. And that makes sense because he wanted to teach them how to live. And when you read his instructions to them, he peppered his teaching with a really interesting phrase. He kept saying that you have heard it said, 
but I tell you. In other words, you've heard other rabbis, other spiritual authorities in your life speak on this topic, but I'm going to teach you my way. And so during the course of this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said things to his first disciples like, well, you've heard it said, do not murder. But I tell you, don't be angry with one another because this is the way. It's not the way of the world. It's not the way of what's normal, but, but it's my way. And you've heard that it was said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you, don't look lustfully at one another because this is the way. I know it's normal. It may even be acceptable but in your culture, but this is not my way. And, and, and you've heard it said, take an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. In other words, seek appropriate revenge. But I tell you, turn the other cheek. No one does it. It's not normal, but this is the way. And you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you because this is the way. And while we're on the topic, when, whenever you give to the needy, which is a great thing to do, right? There's needy people around you. They need help. You should help them. But whenever you give to the needy, don't do it like you've seen some people do it. Like very publicly with a lot of fanfare. I want you to give in secret because when you give primarily in order to be seen as generous, that's not good for your soul. This is the way. And then he says, kind of in a similar vein, when you pray, don't do so like in public places to be seen like your teachers do. Uh, and in the first century, the Jewish tradition, there were a lot of public prayers and there were religious leaders who would go on and on praying. So people would say, oh man, they're so, they're so bright. They have this wonderful connection to God. They just want, but, but Jesus is like, they just, they're really, they just want to impress people. He says, instead, when, when you want to pray to your heavenly father, go somewhere private, just between the two of you. And again, this isn't what you're used to. This isn't normal. This, but this is the way. And, and, and I want you to stop storing up treasures here on earth. And I want you to start storing up treasures in heaven. Because it turns out where your stuff is, that's where your heart is. This is the way. And then one more, um, I know you've got some teachers who are always calling out what's wrong with other people, right? I mean, that happened all the time back then. I'm so glad that doesn't happen today. Yeah, right, yeah. Um, so the teachers are always calling out what's wrong with other people. But I want you to focus on what's wrong with you so that you can deal with it and then maybe be healthy enough to help other people with whatever's wrong with them. Again, not normal, not cultural for them, but this, this is the way, this is my way. I'm telling you the span of topics that Jesus delivered in quick succession during the Sermon on the Mount was staggering. I remember back in seminary, I was training to be a pastor and we were going through the Sermon on the Mount and I raised my hand and noticed that it was a terrible sermon. And everyone got really quiet and looked at the professor and he said to me, it was not a terrible sermon. It was the greatest sermon ever given because Jesus gave it. I said, yeah, but he has too many topics. We would get marked down for this. <laughs> and then I got marked down for my comment, but that's okay. I'm over it. My counselor says I'm doing better. <laughs> eh. 
Anyway, uh, and Jesus gets done with all of these specific instructions, and then as his teaching was coming to a close, he talked about the fact, he's, he's looking at these disciples, I think they're shell-shocked. They're like, who can live like this? And Jesus would say, just watch me, because this is exactly how I'm going to live, because I'm not just teaching it, I'm, I'm living it. And in fact, he would say to them later, I am the way. So, yeah, at the end, he looks at them, again, shell-shocked, and he says, guys, listen, let me simplify this for you. There's really only two ways to live in this world. And he said it this way. He says to the disciples, enter through the narrow gate. And I'll explain what he means in a second here. He says, for wide is the gate and broad is the road. And by the way, the Greek word translated road here can also be translated way. Wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction and many enter through it. He says, but small is the gate and narrow the way that leads to life. And only a few find it. In other words, Jesus looks at these guys and he says, listen, there's a way to live that's popular and may even initially feel fulfilling, but it's a way that doesn't ultimately get you where you want to go. It's a way in which you allow your desires to rule your life no matter how they affect anybody else. And it's when the accumulation of stuff becomes not the only goal in life, but like a primary goal in your life. And, and, and you only have so much time and energy. Says, and it's, it's when you seek revenge. And it's when you start to think of yourself as better than other people. And Jesus looks out at these, first guy, these guys and, and he says to them, listen, don't go that way. I want you to follow me. This is the way. And now, fun fact, I just had to share this when I was, when I was studying. I thought, oh, that's good. Uh, when Jesus said that this wide, this broad way leads to destruction, he wasn't saying what you might think he was saying. Like, he wasn't uh, intentionally providing the inspiration for ACDC's epic hit about being on a highway. To... You with me on this? Anybody? A few of you got that? Sinners unite. Yeah, right? No, the Greek word that's translated destruction in this verse can better be translated ruin. And so what Jesus is saying here is that the wide way, the wide path, the wide road leads to things that you don't want, like regret and pain and broken relationships and a lack of purpose and a lack of fulfillment. See, but the good news is he also said to the disciples, there is another way and the gate is smaller and the path is narrower, and so not everybody will find it. Not because it's not available to them, but because it's not intuitive. And so it's the way, it's the road less traveled. He says, nonetheless, it's the way that leads to the life that you want. And again, don't miss this. Jesus wasn't talking about life after death. He was talking about life right here and right now, and he was saying that there is a way to a life marked by things like peace and love and self-control and purpose and fulfillment and contentment and thriving marriages and restored relationships and flourishing faith. And he's like, you can access that life now by following my way. And, and let, let's be honest, whether you're a Christian or not, that's the sort of life you want. And again, Jesus said, didn't say that you could find it by believing in him. He said you could find it by following him. And, and full disclosure, it's not always easy to follow Jesus. I mean, you read the Sermon on the Mount, you should totally read it this week. Um, you read Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 and 6, and it's like so much of what Jesus said was and is countercultural and counterintuitive. 
But he also promised that if we ordered our lives around his teachings, we could really find a better life because following Jesus makes your life better and following Jesus makes you better at life. Not life, not life better like you're going to avoid the normal pitfalls of life, but you'll be better equipped to handle them when they come. Okay, so now before I let you go, I wanted to give you a little bit of homework this week because school is back in session. I thought I'd give it a try. There's no pop quiz, so don't worry about it, right? But, um, and here's the thing, whether or not you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, you can play along with this. It's not going to hurt you, I promise, right? But I want to challenge you to carry a question with you this week. And what I'd love you to do is every time you find yourself in a disagreement with someone or a conflict about something at home or at work or at school or wherever you are, I want you to ask yourself in that moment, what would following the way of Jesus look like in this situation? In other words, you find yourself in conflict with somebody and you ask yourself, what would it look like to choose to extend grace or undeserved favor in this situation to this person? What would it look like to give someone else exactly what they don't deserve? What would it look like to put aside the judgment of another and instead try to figure out what's going on inside of me that made me respond so negatively to them? What would it look like to really love someone who, if you're honest in that moment, feels like your enemy? Or what would it look like to express quiet generosity? Maybe it's financial in nature. Maybe it's relational in nature. But what would that look like? Or what would it look like for you to not say what you really want to say because you know it's not going to be helpful even though it's going to feel so good when you say it, right? I speak not from my own experience. Just kidding. Yeah, right, yeah. But what would it look like? And what would it look like for you to turn the other cheek? What would it look like for you to follow Jesus in the challenging situations that will visit your life this week? Because we navigate a broken world surrounded by broken people, and we ourselves are broken. So we're going to end up in conflict. But in those moments, those are the moments where your faith in Jesus can make such a big difference. Again, not just believing in him or knowing his teachings or memorizing the verses. That's all great. But by actually following him. And, um, and just one more time to be clear, believing in Jesus, believing in Jesus is how you become a Christian. And it's how you get forgiven. And like we say around here all the time, uh, good people don't get into heaven, forgiven people do. So um, this, this exercise isn't about following Jesus in order to earn something from God or to get him to like you more. This is about you finding a better life and helping to make our world a better place by following the way of Jesus. Um, all right, now uh, we have a special treat for you as we close our time together. Um, because as it turns out, this entire series was inspired by a song that came out this past spring. And what happened, the song was released, and within the first 24 hours, I had three pastor friends email it to me, like text me the link and say, you gotta, you gotta hear this song. And so after the third one, I was like, okay, fine, I'll listen to the song. And then I listened to the song, had tears streaming down my face. Um, but it, the song has sort of haunted me ever since, and it's a great song. Um, and it's a song we're going to begin to include in our worship set, um, you know, in future weeks. But today, 
I just want you to start by listening to it. And then eventually the band will invite you to stand and you're welcome to, to join them and sing. But the lyrics of this song focus on the real difference following Jesus can make in your life. And the song is called The Jesus Way. And so the connection to what we just talked about is not very subtle. But uh, the song sort of affirms over and over and over again our big idea for today, which is that there is a big difference between believing something and following someone. So let's enjoy the song together, and then I'll return to close our time in prayer. If you curse me, then I will bless you. If you hurt me, I will forgive. And if you hate me, then I will love you. I choose the Jesus way. If you're helpless, I will defend you. If you're burdened, I'll share the weight. And if you're hopeless, then let me show you. There's hope in the Jesus way. Join us if I strive. 
In just a moment, I'll close our time in prayer, but uh, I just wanted to offer something. If you came into this space and you just really need to talk to someone, uh, maybe it's a question about something in your life, maybe it's a question about what it means to become a Christian. Uh, we have some friends that'll be under the screen to the left, and they'd love to take a few moments and just listen and pray with you uh, for the rest of us. Heavenly Father, this morning we celebrate your goodness to us, that at our worst, you came for us and offered us a path to peace, to believing in your son. But as well this morning, we celebrate that you desire to show us a new and better way to be a human. And we just acknowledge our world needs more people like Jesus. And, and somewhere deep down, we want to be those people. And so this week, as we, as we enter conflict, um, I pray that you, by your spirit, would prompt us to consider what Jesus would have us do in that situation. And then give us courage to follow. Thank you for the grace in which we stand. Thank you for loving us even when we fail. And thank you for inviting us to get back up and to follow again. We bless you. We celebrate you. We thank you and we love you. In the matchless name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, everyone said, amen. Grace and peace to you, friends. Enjoy the picnic. Yeah.